All right, hi everybody. Welcome to uh, the second session of Pirkei Avot, uh, Wisdom on the Road to Sinai. Last week we looked at kind of an overarching theory of Pirkei Avot, especially focusing on the term Avot, which most uh, literally means fathers or ancestors and the like. But also we saw how Av can also mean a basic principle or a paradigm. And we kind of saw that Pirkei Avot is trying to teach a mode of wisdom which helps us navigate between I said what I call principle and person, namely the kind of the, the theory and the practice. How are we able to take these ideas of wisdom and apply them in real life? So that's going to be a through line as we're going to continue learning. And the latest example of, let's say, a pattern, actually this is a fun word, especially in honor of the mothers in the, uh, in the uh, class. Um, who knows what the word is uh, in Latin for pattern? matrix right like the matrix right like the the pattern that's under the universe you know in the in the cool movie with the kung fu and stuff um but matrix or matrix comes from the word mater which means mother uh so just like there's the avot we can also think of like the imahot the patterns as well so we're going to see that we're going to have two teachings that claim to provide the three basic foundational principles of the world Right, we have two different early rabbis, and they're both going to give us their theories of what are the three essential features, or even maybe purposes, of the world. Uh, and we're going to see, do these con contradict? Are they just kind of neutrally next to each other, or are they in some way symbiotically working together? Uh, it's all a bit up in the air. Let's bring ourselves a little back to ground, uh, and let's look at the texts together. Um, here, I'm going to share my screen. Can everyone see that okay? Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. Here we go. So it's called On These Three Things, The Foundations of the World. Dum dum dum. So here we go. So the second Mishnah of Perkei Avos quotes a teaching from Shimon Atzadik, Simeon the Righteous, Simeon the Just, who was an early rabbi, one of the last of the, uh, the rabbis who were there in the time of the temple. So he says, Shimon Atzadi Kayami Shiarei Knesset Hagadola. He was indeed one of the last of the sages from the, uh, the, uh, the men of the Great Assembly, which we referred to before, which is kind of like a proto Sanhedrin, a legal body. He would say, Al Shloshad Varim Haolam Omeid. The world stands on three things Al HaTorah, the Al HaAvodah, Al HaAvodah, the Al Gmilut Chasadim. On Torah, on service, worship, service, work, labor, but referring to sacred work, right? Avodah is a shorthand for the temple service, but we're going to see the mission is going to play with that a little bit. So Torah, Avodah, and Gmilut Chassadim, right? Acts of uh, loving kindness or acts of kindness. Translations here says piety. Uh, I don't think that's actually an apt translation. Um, I, we're going to see how it pushes us. I mean, piety is interesting. We're gonna hold that in the back of your in your back of your mind, because uh, again, the, the, it's going to play with it a little bit. So Shimon Tzadik says the world stands on three things: Torah, Avoda, and Gemilut Chasadim. All right. So when you're if you were just to kind of summarize, or what are your reflections or reactions to those that kind of that, that those that triad? 
is the song using a mm -hmm. is a Hasidic song that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very famous teaching. There's a, a number of different musical settings for it. Why these three things, do you think? Why are these the three things he highlights? I would say it's the, uh, it's three of the basics. Torah means you're following, you're learning and you're following halakha. Um, Avodah means a um, uh, service to Hashem, so you're devoted to Hashem. And Gmilu Chasadim is basically why we have all of it. It's to be a mensch. Okay, so there's three different aspects here. There's like the, uh, there's the intellectual aspect of Torah, and there's right. the Vodah in which we practice it, right? We, we bring it into the world. And Gmilu Chasadim is the, as a character aspect, a personal aspect to it. But also it seems like you're saying like a purpose of it, right? The point of it is to lead to the good, right? Towards yeah. becoming good. Okay, great. Chesed is like the bottom line. Okay, all right, so it's, it's last on purpose, the bottom line. Yeah. Okay, great, great comment, Lauren. Any other ideas? There's no one right idea. There are many right ideas. All right, we can let it simmer for a little bit. Now we're going to see an alternative theory, but we're going to leave it behind quickly. So here's Shimon ben Gamliel, another early rabbi, but later than uh, Shimon Atzadik. Each of the first two chapters starts with early rabbis and then moves down like a chain of transmission till we get to a later rabbi. Shimon Atzadik teaches his disciple, who teaches his disciple, da-da-da-da-da, until we get down to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. This is actually the last Mishnah of the first parak. So Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, al shloshah devarim ha'olam omeid. He says, same, same introductory line. The world stands on three things. Al hadin, vi al ha'emet, vi al ha'shalom. On justice, on truth, and on peace. And he has a quote, quotes from Zechariah, one of the last prophets. He says, emet umishpat shalom shiftu b'sh'arechem. Um, adjudicate. Judgment of truth and manifest peace within your gates. Okay, so it's uncommon actually because you don't usually see a verse citation in Pirkei Avot. Usually it's more aphoristic statements. But here it's more midrashic because he's drawing it by reading out, reading it out of a verse. He says the world stands on three things. Justice, truth, and peace. How do you see this vis-a-vis -vis the previous teaching? Any just immediate reflections or reactions? They temper each other. Mm, okay, say more. So you um, you may have absolute truth, but it won't bring justice and not peace. And you may have justice, which may not totally be the truth, but you need it for peace. So. The three are intertwined, but they temper each other. Okay, very interesting. So all three are needed, all three are related, and each one involves the other. I wonder if maybe we could even say the same thing about the first teaching we saw, that Torah needs Avoda, and Avoda needs Gemilu Chasadim, and Gemilu Chasadim needs Torah, right? You need the principles of Torah, or else you are, you're missing your orientation. 
But mere theory alone cannot exist in the world. It needs to manifest in practice. That's avodah. But it can't just be the mindless or heartless execution of rules, just like observing Torah like a halacha robot. Rather, it is towards the end of the good. That it also, and tempered is a nice word, it must be tempered with love, with kindness, with empathy. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a way, a kind of a certain kind of a halachic ideology, sensibility that's become very popular nowadays of like kind of this halacha robot. I'm just calling balls and strikes here. But Mishnah, Shimon Atzadik seems to be pushing against that and saying you can't have Torah without avoda, without what it means to practice it, and you can't practice it if you're just doing it as if we're all just, you know, neutral monads, you know, bumping against each other. Rather, we're all related to each other. We all owe things to each other. We all must think of the other. We're going to explore this deeper. Again, this is just, you know, just throwing it out there. We're just seeing what sticks. No wrong answers, at least yet. Uh, so let's get into each of these elements. So we're going to focus on the first Mishnah first, and then we'll get back to the second one. Okay? Great. So here is a very famous teaching from Breshit Rabbah. Breshit Rabbah is an Amoraic Midrash on Breshit, right on the book of Genesis. It's literally the beginning of Breshit Rabbah. It's very, you know, and it's, and it's beginning on purpose. It's a, it's, a, it's a bold teaching. It's very famous. So Rabbi Hoshaya Rabbah Patach. So the great Hoshaya Rabbi, he opens and says, amon ashuim yom yom. Well, the Bible doesn't always rhyme, but it's nice when it has a nice slant rhyme there. I will be by him as a, um, an Ammon, an Ammon, uh, I mean, that's we're going to leave that untranslated because the midrash is going to try to explain what amon means. But you should have in your in your heart in your head echoes of the word um, omanut, right? And anyone who's been to Jewish day camp, what is omanut? Arts and crafts, right? So some kind of artisan, some kind of skilled craftsperson, right? That's the word. Um, same word actually is amain. Right, or emunah, it's all from the same root because an amon is an expert in their field. And emunah doesn't just mean like belief in an idea, it means to have faith in someone. Right? You trust an expert that they're, you know, you trust the plumber you hire not to ruin your toilet. Right? Because they have, you know, they went to plumber school or whatever. They apprenticed with a master plumber. Similarly, you have faith in someone, you have faith in God because they are trustworthy, because God is faithful to you, reliable. So I will be by God, an Ammon, and I will be a delight every day. Now, this is from Proverbs chapter 8, which uh, the speaker is Chochmah, wisdom. All right? It's like a, what's called in fancy academies a hypostasis, which means a personification of an idea. So wisdom, Sophia, is saying, I, will, I was with God from the very outset. I was an Ammon with God. I was a delight. Like, I was God's friend. I was God's best friend. We were always, like, playing together. I was God's favorite. I was God's BFF, right? I was, I was God's bestie. Um, but rabbis, I think we can make the easy link here, translate Chochmah, right, in the Bible to mean what? What's our wisdom? 
Torah, right? Whenever it says Chochmah, it means that the Torah. So what's the claim here? The claim here is that before the world was created, who was God's best friend? Torah, which means that Torah is before the creation of the world. Oh, so when, I and mean, we're going to get to a literal, like, literalization of this. Um, when it says the world stands on three things, it means literally, says the rabbis, that Torah is a foundation of the world. Torah is before the world was built. Torah is what the world stands on, because first God, then Torah, then world. And what is this Torah? It's like a matrix. It's like a blueprint. Okay, we're going to look at this. Um, Amon means artisan, right? Uman, a Torah omeret ani hayiti kli umnuto shalakadosh barachu. Torah says, I was God's, like, handcraft tool. I was God's, like, clamp. I was God's um, level. I was God's, you know, uh, masonry saw. I was God's lathe. Benoeg olam, and the way the world works, you know, imagine you contracted contractors, right, to build a house, right? Melech basar vadam bonet palatin, when a flesh and blood king builds a palace, eno bone ota midat atzmo, ela midat uman. Or you don't even think of a king. You are building a house. You're contracting contract. You don't just, like, I'm gonna, like, build it myself. No, what do you do? You consult an architect. You consult a contractor. You hire experts, right? People who know what they're doing. You don't just do it on your own. Ela midat uman. You consult with an expert. And the artisan, the contractor, doesn't build it by their own uh, imaginings either. But the architect has books, has plans, right? They have to go to the Hall of Records to make sure they're not going to, like, you know, dig into a gas line or something like that, right? They have their uh, they have their their textbooks, which make sure that you know that the building is going to be sound, right? That the foundation will be uh, sustained, right? I mean, Renee, I'm sure you can relate to this as somebody who just complete recently completed a big building job, right? Before you start building, the wise the wise craftsperson plans. You know what they say, right? Measure twice, cut once, right? Mm -hmm. So Torah is, Torah is God's pre-planning and God's quote-unquote consultant, right? That we have this personification of Torah as God's contractor, God's architect, God, but also at the same time the plans, the matrix, right? The blueprints that you need, the, uh, the, the calculations and the like. Ladat heyachu oseh chadarim. So that you know how you build the rooms. So you know how you build the, uh, the, 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 what's it called? The, um, the doorways and the hallways and the, um, foyers. What a beautiful image. Accordingly, did God, as it were, peer into the Torah and create the world? So what is the Torah then, according to this Midrash? Torah is this pre-created plan, 
is blueprint for how the world is supposed to be. It's the matrix that lies under the world. Vatorah amra bereshit bara elokim, ain reshit elatora. It's a, it's a, it's so, it's so fun, right? Bereshit bara elokim. How do you generally translate that? You know, famous three-word phrase. What is? It, how do we translate it? In the beginning, created Hashem. Hashem created. Good. Right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Great. That's, that is absolutely correct. That is the normal way you translate it. But the rabbis love picking things apart, and they love bringing your attention to words in totally new and exciting ways. Bereshit means with reshit, and reshit means the beginning. So God created the world with reshit. Ain reshit ela Torah. And what is the beginning but Torah? Torah is the beginning. With the beginning, God created the world. With the beginning, that is Torah. God created the world. So, I mean, another meta uh, another metaphor that doesn't use here, but it says um, elsewhere that, you know, before you build the palace, first you must build the foundations, right? You don't build a palace you know, you don't build the top floor of a house before you've built the basement, right? Before you've built the ground floor. Otherwise, you know, kaboom. Disaster. <laughs> Terrible situation. Um, Torah is, you know, that's like a very concrete metaphor. Torah is foundational to the world. It is the first step so that you can have a universe. It's the basis that the universe is based on. And here it's a little bit more, let's say, conceptual. That Torah are the pre the pre-plans right your god's intention in making the world god's ideas about creating the world god's purpose in creating the world this completely reframes what it means to learn torah how so how does this change what it means to learn torah to you how, does this impact what it means to what does it mean to develop that relationship with torah I have a question. Yeah, please. Regarding that. So is that saying like Torah is so foundational that you learn it no matter what? Because it's like, that's what foundational means. Or is it saying like you need other foundations to learn Torah? Like has that prerequisite? Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. So we have here this metaphor, right? Of Torah as the plans that are consulted so that the building can be can be made. Right now, if you want to live in a house, would you just read plans all day? Just read the plans? No. No, right? So it seems that foundation here is necessary, but not sufficient. If only the th only thing you're going to do is just dream of the house and plan the house, that's not living in a house. Right? You can put your money down. You can drop the blueprints. But a house isn't built until it's built. So the Torah is foundational in the sense that it is, you know, the plans that are the basis of the building of the house, but it's not the same thing as the house. Right? The house needs the plans, but the plans are not the same thing as the house. You know, what's interesting about this is that Torah, in a way, is like a time jump. It's a time machine of sorts. You know, on one hand, it's saying Torah gives you insight into how it is that the world was created. 
So it's not just a technical book of rules or something like that, but rather it's giving you insight into what it is and how it is God wanted the world to behave, God wanted the world to come into being. Right? And so by learning Torah, you're then able to track back, you know, through history, through the cosmos, back into Kivyochol, right, the mind of God, the intentions of God, God's plans. It's a very expansive, cosmic, maybe even metaphysical, you know, this notion of the pre-created Torah. That Torah is a, a, a portal of sorts, a right? time warp. That actually brings us from creation to before creation. It's very poetic. And I wonder, though, in a way it can also then impact and alter how we learn Torah today. Uh, you know, Torah is on one hand practical, right? We learn it so that we know what God requires of us, what God needs of us, what God wants of us. But also, I mean, the other word for uman, like we saw said before, is companion, like a your faithful friend, right? I was a I was with God as God's delight, says wisdom. And also another word for it is uh, the rabbis say is pedagogue. And what does that what word does that sound like for all of our educational theorists? Pedagogy. That's right, pedagogue, right? And what? It, but here's a really interesting point. Pedagogy nowadays means like theory of education, right? How thinking through how we make sure that people can learn, right? Pedagogy is in that way kind of like the plans, the intentions to make sure that learning can occur, right? Pedag you know, you don't just, just enter a classroom cold. You have to think like, okay, here it is that this stage of development, how you know young minds work or, you know, different modes of learning, right? Some people are more kinetic, you know, they like to move their bodies more and that's how they learn. Other people are more theoretical, etc. But again, I love going back into the origins of words. So this is clearly a borrowed word from Greek, right? Pedagogue doesn't mean teacher, it actually means um, um, escort. I, I don't mean that in the way we use that today. Uh, but escort in the sense, of like a babysitter. Like this was the person who brought the child to the school. So it's like a, a body man of sorts. But what's a pedagogue? A pedagogue is an escort of learning, a companion of learning, someone who helps you walk the path of what it means to get to learning. So Torah is not just some theoretical matrix that we're peer, you know, mystically peering into. Torah is a companion in our learning. Torah learns with us. We learn with Torah. Um, okay. So that is, a, you know, part of all of these teachings. I always want them to be portals of sorts, you know, to see the ways in which rabbis think, right? That every teaching itself is, you know, spider webbing out, networking out to all these different things to have in the back of your mind. So when Shimon Otsadik is saying, Allah Torah, the Allah Voda, the Allah Gemulus, Chasadim, it's not just a simple thing. He's thinking about it with all of these associations, and that's what I want us to have with them too. All right, so he, that was this kind of cosmic image of the Torah right, as God's pre-creative partner. Here comes the Rambam, who reads it in, you know, in a way that makes sense to him. Rambam, famously, you know, the great eagle, famously a doctor, you know, every, every Jewish mother's treat, and also a philosopher, every Jewish mother's nightmare. Um, 
Rambam is uh, you know, a, a, one of the greatest intellectuals of our tradition, and he sees Torah as an aspect of that kind of path of philosophy. So here's what he says. He says, Yomar, Shebechochma, right, going back to the original context of the Proverbs verse that we just saw, Vihi HaTorah, right, wisdom is Torah, Uvma'alot HaMidot, but not just, um, not just theory, but also Ma'alot HaMidot, good traits, good qualities, and what it means to ascend in them, what it means to become refined in them. So we're already gesturing towards how these work together. So wisdom is not just the theory of Torah, but it's also the way in which that helps ennoble you as you learn it. I think anyone who has read a book that's really meant something to them leaves that book changed by it. Right? There's a time before you read that book, and then there's the you you are after you read that book. Studying Torah is a constant reiteration of that transformative process. We become ourselves through learning Torah. We become ennobled. We become better by absorbing the wisdom of Torah. mitzvot, um, and keeping the mitzvot. Hatorahim akorbanot. And these are, what are they? They're the offerings, right? The sacrifices in the time of the Torah, the time of the Bible. Right, through these three aspects, there is the continuous refinement of the world. And keeping it in good order uh, in the most complete and perfect way. So Rambam is already gesturing towards a certain kind of synthesis of these three. And he says that, I mean, here's one aspect I want us to get to, is that Torah, for him, even though, you know, as a philosopher, you could imagine Rambam in the ivory tower contemplating the wisdom of God, going all the way back, right, to pre-creative times, looking at the, the hidden pattern of the universe. But then we forget, Rambam wasn't just a philosopher, he was a doctor. And what does a doctor do? A doctor uses their learning, uses their understanding, and able to, I'm sorry? To heal. To heal, exactly, which means attending to the specific situation before them. So it's not just that you are, you know, you could imagine, like the philosopher, ah, the point of learning wisdom is to become perfected. Right? Imagine like the Greek model. I learn wisdom so that I become perfect. You know, I'm able to you know, follow the chain of causation and, and, and contemplate the pure forms, right, like in uh, Plato. But Ramam says, no, we're not like escaping into some kind of nirvana. The point of it, the point of being transformed by Torah is so that then you can help transform the world. We don't just get an escape clause. We don't get, we don't take the escape hatch out of the world into enlightenment. Rather, once you become enlightened, you realize what there is to do. You realize better what else there is for you to do. The intellectual grows and changes so that they can then better respond to the world and bring healing to the world. So exactly to your point, Terry, that the perfection of self is not, if it's just about the self, that's not Torah, that's egoism. 
but rather the perfection of the self is then helped to bring the perfection of the world. And here we see, I think that's in a way a manifesting, a materializing of this notion that there's this marriage between Torah and world. They can't be separated. The Midrash says Torah is the underlying pattern, the matrix, the mother of the world. And every mother takes care of their child, wants them to grow and to be well. Similarly, as we learn Torah, we become a partner in Torah. We, too, then assume that responsibility. Okay. Thoughts? Reflections? Reactions? Outrage? Uh, am, mm -hmm. am I misunderstanding you? Uh, that you're saying that Torah existed before God? Um. That God so, did not create Torah, that, in fact, Torah was there before God created the world. Yes, Torah is before world, but not before God. So, uh, so God exists and creates Torah, then creates the world? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, that's the, that's the order. God first makes a friend. You know, there's a famous uh, midrash in Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, which is like an 8th century midrash, in which says, you know, first, before the world, all there was was God and God's name alone. And God's name is also seen as kind of maybe a gesture towards Torah. So first, God is alone. And God, though, wants there to be a world. But in order for there to be a world, God must first consult the contractor. So God makes a Torah so that God has a plan to make the world. So God is the architect as well as the builder. Then. But, you know, okay, here's the thing, Jack. You know, I, I love and I hate you for this. Um, you are very right in noticing, this is something that uh, Professor of Midrash David Stern points out in his book Parables in Midrash, which is a, a great book if you want to track it down. He says there's actually always a, 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 a disjuncture. There's always a little breakdown between what's called the mushal and the nimshal, between the metaphor and how it's spelled out. So in the metaphor, right, it sure seems like the Torah is both architect and contractor and blueprint and textbook. But then with the nimshal, how it's spelled out, it does seem like, oh, God's the architect and Torah's the blueprint, and that's it. But so, it, you know, you're right in noticing there's a little bit of a, of a, dis, a distance between the two. Um, I would, uh, the, what, what Stern suggests, and I, and I think this is actually really true about Midrash, it's playful. Right? Midrash is actually giving you tools to use, to play around with in terms of imagining how Torah, what Torah is and what Torah means. In a way, it doesn't require you to literalize it, but rather it's giving you a way to stage it in your mind. Because it's beyond what we can understand. It's giving us a story that can hopefully communicate something, gesture towards something for us. Um, Shosh asks, if Torah is before the world, then why would it not belong to everyone? Well, you know, this is the difference, in a way, between Torah and Chochmah. Chochmah, wisdom, does belong to everybody. And indeed, there's a lot of rabbinic teachings about how every community in the world, every religion, every... Uh, group. Every society has wisdom. You know, I there's lots of different texts and cultural artifacts and the like that I've become I've been very inspired by. But there's a qualitative difference between wisdom and Torah. 
There's something more that Torah offers, and, and if only just because something that belongs to us, something that is reflects this beautiful singular relationship between the Jewish people and God, or mediated by Torah. Um, something that's intimate, and that's something that is that you only get through that kind of close relationship. Um, okay, let's move on to Avot de Rabbi Natan is uh, an early post-Mishnaic text. It's not Talmud quite. It's it's called one of the Masechtot Ketanot, the tiny tractates, as I like to call, translate that, uh, which are these like later kind of miscellaneous tractates that are usually included at the end of Mas at the end of Seder Nezikin. It is a quasi-Gemara on Pirkei Avot. Okay, so it's a later rabbinic take on this foundational uh, ethical text. So, it is now responding to this teaching. Al HaTorah. New? Right, that's how you can translate Ketzat. New? Al HaTorah? What does that mean? How is the world based on Torah? Because it says, Chesed chafatzti velozavach, God says, quote, you know, Hosea quotes God saying, I want love, not I want kindness, not sacrifice. Vidat Elohim me'olot. And uh, I want the knowledge of God, right, enlightenment, more than I want burnt offerings. So it's a very interesting, right, this is, this is you know, a prophet at the, still in the time of the temple, time of the first temple, who is saying, in a way, temple is essential, yes, but it is not all-encompassing. God wants what the sacrifices bring, not just sacrifices themselves. You know, you can also think of the famous Haftorah from Yom Kippur, in which, you know, God says, yeah, you're great about keeping Shabbos, and you're great about bringing sacrifices, but you leave the poor to, like, die, you know, starving and naked in the streets. You, you know, that's the sacrifice that I want, says God. All right, so the sacrifice is all, you know, like we were saying before, sacrifices, avodah, like Torah, need to eventuate in gemilut chasadim, in loving, kind, acting in the world. All right, so mikan... Right, you might think right, you might think that the burnt offering, right, the Ola offering, which is the most holy offering. Why? Because it's entirely consumed by fire. There's three kinds of offerings. There's Ola, there's Mincha, and there's Zavach Shlamim. Ola is the uh, Mincha goes to uh, God, goes to the priests. Zevach Shlamim goes to God, goes to the priests, and goes to you. You get to chow down a little bit on the sacrifice too. Ola only goes to God. It's fully consumed. Okay? Um, so you might think that the Ola is the greatest offering that we can ever offer God, that there's nothing that beats the Ola. There's no trump card in the great bridge of the Avoda game that can ever trump Ola. But no, because whenever you see Mikan, or whenever you see the word Yachol in the Midrash, it's always going to set you up for something else. But no. Why? The Talmud Torah chaviva lifnei makom. No, learning Torah is more dear to God than even the most refined, holy, sacrificial offering. She'im adam lamad Torah yodea da'ato shel makom, like we said before in the Midrash, because if somebody learns Torah, they gain knowledge of 
God's das, right? God's consciousness, God's intention, God's knowledge. Now, everything we say in this, you know, there's, usually comes with a kivyachl, right? Like, you know, human minds can't comprehend the magnitude of God's, of God's consciousness. But we do, we are imbued with it, right? By learning Torah, we do partake of God's consciousness. Then you will understand the fear of God, i.e. piety, and you will find knowledge of God, or God's consciousness. Now, we said before that up there, there's translated, Gemilu Chasadim is acts of piety, and I think this is really interesting kind of play here, because the, the thrust of this teaching is, you might think to be a frum yid, right, to be a good Jew, what do you do? You have to give the best sacrifices. And you have to give the holiest sacrifices. This strictly Jewish thing. Temple service. But no. Torah, and maybe to Shosh's point, is more democratic than that. Because Torah is available no matter where you are, no matter when you are. And Torah gives you insight into the kernel. right? What it's really supposed to be getting at. I think another, I, there's another aspect I want to get at soon, but I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Um, I don't want to put the heart before the course. Mikan lechacham, right? And from this we, we infer that a chacham, right, a rabbi, a sage, someone learning Torah, Talmud chacham, right, who sits and darshins, right, expounds on the Torah in a community, that God considers that person, the Torah considers that person as if they, that, as if that sage, that student of Torah, right, that person who went to seminary, that person who went to yeshiva, that person who read the book in their own time, that person who devotes themselves to Torah, whoever they are, that's as if they have offered the best, you know, fattiest fats and, and, and blood on, ooh, on the altar. That Torah displaces sacrificial worship. That learning Torah is in, in place as if you are like, I mean, here's the interesting point, right? Who offers the Olah? Who offers the burnt offering? The Kohen. The Kohen. Who learns Torah? Ah, I'm not sure it's the Kohen. It's is any... It? Any Jew. Right. Any Jew can learn Torah. Hence, this is democratizing in, that, in its way. Right? The Kohen, it's a professional caste of priests. A bloodline determines that they have access to the sacred service. Learning Torah, at least today, you know, all, what it requires is time, dedication, support, sure, but any, any Jew can do it. And what is the purpose of the sacrifice? Um, that is a large question that we, uh, I, I, I am a defender of sacrifices in their context. Um, but in, you know, in a post temple world, what are the rabbis trying to do? The rabbis are trying to translate, right? The meaning of the sacrificial system, which is no longer accessible to us, right? Cause the temple is, you know, Nebuch, it's destroyed. The sacrifices are gone. We can't offer them anymore. Right? Only in the temple, only on Hartzion, right? We're not allowed to have our little individual altars. So, what was so the then what takes the place of the temple? Jack, what takes the place of the temple? 
Yeah, what was the purpose of it then? Um, that's a larger question. I'll gesture to, you know, everything has its place in its time. Right, that the temple was what was needed at that time, but the rabbis see it as valuable, you know, agree, we miss it, but not complete because we have a life after Torah. I'm oh, sorry, we have a life after the temple. And what takes the place of the temple? Torah. Right, the learning Torah takes place of what the temple used to offer. Yeah, Renee. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess I'm wondering the same thing as Jack is that, you know, we're really studying here the three pillars that the world stands on. So Torah, Avodah, and Chesed, right? So we're missing Avodah. We don't have a temple anymore. Right. So we're missing one of the pillars. Like we're missing one of the three pillars. So are you getting to Or are we? Like jump the gun. No, well, right. Well, this seems like, you know, they're compensating. Yeah, 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 yeah. For us missing that second pillar. Beautiful. Okay, so I didn't include the teaching that says Avodah, Kate Sahad, right? And then it says like, you know, when we had the temple, the rains were flowing and the blessing flowed. And now that we don't have a temple, everything's terrible and ruined. I didn't include that. You know, every, every source sheet is a, is a curation. But I want to make a claim. I mean, A, you know, one thing we do is that we do stage the temple in our minds. You know, when we say Korbanos in the morning when we daven, or when we read about the temple service every morning, you know, in, uh, in a traditional prayer book, in a way, like, we use our words, we use our learning to stage the temple as if it's, you know, in our imagination, and that's kind of taking its place. But I want to make a different claim about what avoda means. Remember, avoda refers to the temple service, that's true, but it also means labor, it means work, it means service, right? And I, I want to see what, how the rabbis get at that. So, interesting, again, it's who's the one who is considered as if they've offered fat and blood on the altar? The no, that's the person who literally offered the fat and blood on the altar. Who is considered as if they offered fat and blood on the altar? The, per the person who's offering the sacrifice. No, that's the person who's literally the offering the sacrifice. <laughs> who is considered as if they offered the sacrifice? The people who study Torah. Give vault. good. The Talmud Chacham who's learning Torah. Ah, but learning Torah, Susie, or what? Oh, like following? Yes, Ish, we're going to get there. But first, studying and? Like enacting. Like Let's go back to the words. Chacham sheyoshev v'doresh b'kahal. Atami Understand. Who sits, learns, and darshans, expounds on, teaches. Oh, teaches. Okay, so who is the one who is in place of the Kohen now? Not somebody, and this back to Rambam's point, not somebody who just gobbles up Torah and becomes super Torah genius, but rather somebody who is learning Torah to then communicate it and bring it to the people. That's who's like a Kohen, Lauren. Why? Because the Kohen was, you know, even though they're in their ivory tower of the temple, their purpose is to serve as a conduit between God and us to offer the sacrifices to make sure that whatever they were supposed to do flowed back to us. Torah learning is not just an escape hatch to learn about the, the mind of God, but rather it too is about communication, 
and relation. It's not just somebody who just learns Torah and steigs a you know, gemurra all day. It's somebody who learns Torah so they can bring it to the people. Okay, so, so anybody who teaches Limadei Kodesh mm-hmm. is much taking the place of a Kohen. Right, you're not no gay of a Devar about that, right, Lauren? No, I'm not going to give it to You know, my that's what my dad did. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I know you're thinking of your of your father, right? Who was a very, very respected and valued teacher of Torah, very much, right? So Torah is not just about absorbing or learning; it's about bringing it to the people, and that's how you're like a Cohen. So that's the first aspect, Brene. I think of the subtle avoda displacement or replacement, right? How is avoda? First we have Torah, then avoda. So the first avoda is teaching. Teaching as an act of holy service. A teacher as a, a servant of God. Right? A teacher as a servant of the people. Co- connecting the people and the Torah. Okay, but how else service too? So now we get to practice, Lauren. Okay, so you're totally right to intuit that. I just wanted to take it in order. And then it says this. Shnei Talmidei Two, you know, students of Torah who are learning Torah together and they're chavrusa, okay? And then, omita, and then a bride or a casket, like a coffin, pass before them. Now, why those two things? Because they both involve parades, right? There's the bridal procession, the, the, the wedding procession, you know, as they're on their way to the chuppah. And there's the Leviathan Mace, right? There's the escorting of the funeral buyer on the way to the um, to the base island, right? To the to the cemetery. If the processions have everything they need, every one they need, then you can keep on learning. But imlav, if they still need someone, if they still need something, then yamdu v'yishnu. What do you do? Then, you fancy rabbis, you students of Torah, you yeshiva bachers, if they need you, it's not enough to say, it's not okay to say, we're learning Torah, we're busy. Rather, if you are really learning Torah, you know that in what's called to nullify it is to keep it. How? You need to stop learning. You need to, you know, cease. You get up. You stop learning, and you go dance in front of the bride, and you or you go and comfort and escort the dead. That's what it means to be learning Torah. What does it mean? Avodah. Torah needs to eventuate in its practice. All right. So we have two aspects of the pra- of practice here. One is that Torah can't just be theory. It needs to be taught two people, that's its eventuation. And secondly, Torah is not just theoretical, it needs to be realized in the real world through its keeping. And also, back to Terry's point from before about healing, attending to what people need from you and how that then tailors your behavior, right? determines your behavior. So that was a great pushback, Renee, in terms of like what happened to the Avoda. Is it just locked in the past? It's subtle, but I think here it is, right? The rabbis are giving us ways to realize, manifest, concretize Torah in the world and what God needs of us and wants of us in the world. 
And then the further manifestation of that, realization of that, is exactly as Lauren said in the beginning of this whole class, that the telos, like the tachlis, is not just what God needs of us, but like we just gestured at before, what others need from us. Right? Acts of kindness. So, al-gemilus chasadim ketzad, acts of loving kindness. New? As it says, same pasuk quotes, which means, again, these are all connected. I want love, not, not lambs, right? I want kindness, not sacrifice. In the beginning, the world was created only with love. As it says, The world will be built with love. The heavens are installed with your faithfulness. You installed the heavens with your faithfulness, right? With your being there, present with us. You know, we say of God. Pamachas. And this is, again, this is, I think you'll find this quite interesting right now. Haya Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai Yotzei Yerushalayim. So, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai escaped Jerusalem right on the heels of, of the, the villain titan, you know, Titianus's, or Hadrianus's destruction of the temple, right? He escapes. And Rabbi Yehoshua follows after him. He escapes too. And they see, they witness the smoking, burning embers of the temple raised to the ground. Nigavat. Rabbi Yehoshua says, Oi lanu. I don't need to translate that. Oi that the temple is destroyed, the place that atoned for the sins of Israel. Exactly the question you were asking. What do we do? The temple's gone. Something's broken. Something's missing. Right? All these sacrifices that helped get us clean, that helped get us right with God, and now we're just doomed? Rabbi Yochanan Mitzakai says back to him, My son, don't, don't be aggrieved. We have a different kapara. We have a different atonement that is equivalent to the temple. What is it? Gemilus chasadim. To love, to act lovingly towards others. To do loving acts towards others. That is equivalent to the temple sacrifice. Again, back to the point. Temple sacrifice, a service provided by a caste of experts, the Kohanim, only the priests. But who is able to be kind to your neighbor? Anyone. Anybody can now effect the power that the temple had by being attentive and kind to others. How do we know this? Well, here's a Pasuk. God said through the mouth of Hosea, I want love, not sacrifice. I mean, God, in God's wisdom, had the seed of how to survive the destruction. Because the key of the temple was that it was a place of love. It was where we were forgiven. It was where we were able to reconnect with God. But the love, just because the temple is, is, is gone, doesn't mean the love is gone. Now we just have the love. 
right? The temple is a house of love, and now the house is gone, but what's under the house? The foundation of Torah, the avoda, the practice of what it means to build again, and gemilus chasadim, what it means to, uh, to attend to and take care of others, to make sure your house is open on all sides, like the chuppah, to make sure anyone who needs can come. What were these, so what are these examples of the, you know, it quotes Daniel as a great lover of people, as a great kind person, you know, the, the Daniel from the, from the Bible. What were, what were these Gemilus Chassadim who do? We know he wasn't offering sacrifices. It can't be piety. It needs to be kindness. Why? Because he was in Babylonia after the destruction of the temple. You can't offer sacrifices in Babylonia. So it's clear. What was he doing? What were the holy acts he was doing? He was. Mitakenata kala. He was making sure that brides had everything they need to feel beautiful, to feel good on their wedding day. And he would misamacha, and he would make sure that they were happy. He would, he would provide for them joy. He would escort the, the dead, like we saw before. He would make sure that the dead got to where they needed to go to have their eternal rest. He would give money to the poor. And when he davened, his prayers were received with God's favor. God responds with love to those who provide love for others. The prayers can only be included in this list because Daniel, as a holistic person, knew that there's no difference in a way. That if you're going to say you're a lover of God, you need to also be a lover of other human beings. You can't have one without the other. And to love another human being is also, who's created in the image of God, is also to love God. Um, so we see how these, th these, you know, two, I think what a lot of us were intuiting before, these three are working together in a way they're working sequentially. Torah is about trying to make sure that our minds are focused on ways to become more refined, ways to partake of God's mind of God's intention, but that's not an escape into the nirvana of Gan Eden, but rather it, it provides guidance so that we can bring that into the world, keep mitzvot, right, honor our commitments to God, but not just that, as Yachin says, but also then to make sure that we are attending to others' needs from us as well. That's what it means to become a fully complete person. These are the three things we need. We need to perfect our minds, perfect our bodies to provide that service and to perfect our hearts so that we are always making sure to be open to those who need. Can't have one without the other. Um, I've, yeah, please. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, I've been using um, the Rav, Joseph Soloveitchik's essays on Pirkei Avot. Um, there's a really great one on, on this on this Mishnah called The World Rests Upon Three Things. And I wanted to share a quick reflection from him. And then we'll spend, uh, we'll close by looking at this other Mishnah and seeing how it, uh, how it relates. So Shimon Hatzadik considered the mere cognitive gesture of studying the Torah a great ethical performance. I always need to translate his incredible language into, you know, 
English. Shimon Tzadik saw the intellectual exercise of studying Torah as not just being neutral, but itself leading to goodness. Right? To learn Torah is itself an ethical act. How? The dedication to an intellectual Torah life is ao ipso, a commitment to an ethical life. To learn Torah means that you are committing yourself to the good. Torah needs to result in goodness. Otherwise, it would be meaningless to say it comes from God. However, pure knowledge is not sufficient, as we, I think, have seen from all of these teachings. Torah is not just theoretical. It's not just knowledge. It's not just self-perfection. But rather, it's what it means to manifest. The idea must, must find its consummation in basic realities. We find the principle in Torah so that we can bring it to people. The word must turn into deed. Right? What we, the words we learn in Torah must be practiced and brought into the world. The abstraction becomes concrete. In short, Torah consists of both idea and reality, matrix right, and world, ideal and realization. Right? The ideal of Torah brought into the world, made manifest, either in our actions towards God, avodah, mitzvot, or our actions towards others, kimilut chasadim. Okay. Pause. Breathe. Halfway there. No, just kidding. We're most of the way there. The other one, we're, we're not going to do as much with. Um, okay. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, three things the world stands on. Justice, peace, sorry, justice, truth, and peace. Now, I, one of the, you know, we saw Torah as ethics before. Torah in becoming interpersonal or religious practice. But here, Rambam says it's not just ethics, which is about how we behave towards other entities, right? how we behave towards other people, or how you even behave with God. But he says here enters the politic, right? Po political life. Now, political life, not in terms of like running a slime campaign on somebody, chas v'shalom, or, you know, all this election that's happening soon. I mean, you know, but I mean, the point of politics, right, is not parties or whatever, but it's about how to create a society based in principles, how to create a society based in what is right and good. So it's not just the individuals, how they interact with each other, but rather how you create a world, a city, a community that hews to these values, that highs to these values. Okay, so he says, Hadin, what is Deen? What is justice or judgment? Hanhagat Hamidina Biyosher. It is uh, running or um, administering a Medina, which means a political body, right? Medina can mean a country, a nation. It can, but in Arabic, it means a city, and in Aramaic too, it means a city, or some kind of social body, political body. Be yosher with uprightness, right? That you know, no corruption to make sure it's run well. What does it mean to have a society that reflects our values? You know, the great, uh, lamentably late teacher Abraham Joshua Heschel said, if you want to know the value of society, you look to the child and you look to the, you look to the elderly. How do you know if a society is healthy and good? 
and right if they take care of the young and they take care of the old, i.e., what are the young and the old? Those who are not contributing to society economically anymore, right? They're not pay in, pay out. They're not workers. Rather, we take care of them because it's the right thing to do, because they deserve it, because every human being does. I says, da da da. That what? So what's peace? What's truth? Truth is attaining intellectual uh, advancement, like we saw before, that, that's kind of related to Torah. And shalom, what's peace? Making sure that your character is up to snuff. Then you'll see that you will have, uh, again, a holistic, a completed existence without any uh, ambiguity or ambivalence. Okay. You know, we can see these as mapping to the prior uh, triad, too. We see that the intellectual element of truth, that can we relate that to Torah? The character element of, um, of peace, which we can relate to gemilut chasabim, acts of loving-kindness. And very interestingly, Dean, worship, holy service, is politics. Why? Because it is the manifestation of our values in the world. Politics is, or should be, holy work. It is where we are able to achieve God's will of making sure that the orphan is not starving, that the poor have what they need, that the homeless are taken care of. Right? Politics is where we're able to achieve things on a scale that just individuals alone cannot. Um, another companion of mine in preparing these classes is um, a compiled commentary of the Gra, the, uh, the, the genius of Vilna, the Gaon of Vilna. And he has, this is a comment from a, one of his other books, but it's quoted in a collection of his teachings about Perkei Avot. It says this, the rabbis say in, in Masechus Shabbos that anyone, any judge who adjudicates truth truthfully, it's as if they become a partner in the creation of the world. We bring all the way back to the Midrash that we saw, that to engage with Torah in some way brings you all the way back to that moment when nothing became something, when the world became and you can understand this, what does it mean to be a partner, a shaitef, right? To be in God's LLP, right, of World Incorporated. What does it mean to be a partner with God? Not just associate anymore, you're a partner. What does it mean? There's two aspects, he says. One is, what does a judge need if you're sitting on a base team, if you're, you know, you're a justice? You need to know the law, right? You need to, like, be an expert in the law. You need to actually know what you're talking about. You need to study the books, you need to, you know, know your constitution, Know the law books. You need to know your halacha, shulchan aruch, etc. But it's not just theory. It's also chush. How to translate chush, Lauren? Wisdom. Yeah, yeah, but like gut wisdom, right? It's like intuition. Okay. You know, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not book. Word. It's not book smarts. It's street smarts. Or you have to know how to be discerning in the world. 
He says, even besides knowing all of this, you know, fancy pants halacha, a chacham needs to understand who they're dealing with. Who has to have like a good sense of like, who's being honest with me and who's trying to give me the runaround. You have to be a good student of character. Because without that, without knowing this thing thoroughly, without knowing this thoroughly, then, and here's something very point, very, very important. Someone dishonest can take advantage of the system and use the, tr the loopholes and the trickery to win. I think we've all seen worthy and righteous systems perverted by people who are able to make them work for them rather than realize that they're supposed to transform us. So a judge who is working well is not just somebody who knows the books, but according to the Gra, and this is what it means to have these three things together, Dean, MS, and Shalom, is you also need to know people. You need to know people so you know when somebody is trying to turn Torah into just a system of rules and forget that it's a system of wisdom. And wisdom is about the world. It's about manifesting something better than what you left with before. And he says, ideally, if you're able to adjudicate at, truthfully, then even the liar who tried to trick you will leave and say, you know what? I deserved that. I deserve this. I need this accountability. Back to the point, this is a voda. This is like the temple in the sense that this is the way in which people can have accountability with each other to work through tension, to work through harm that was done one to another and a way to get right, a way to make up for it. That's what justice is supposed to do. Justice is supposed to attend to the truth so that there can be peace. Only by ha being able to pair theory and practice, knowledge of, knowledge of Torah with intuition about people, and then the wisdom of how to bring those two things together and to have a pro-social, right, a result that leads to more togetherness, more harmony, and more peace. You know, the notion, it's, this is a famous line from uh, the current Chief Justice of the American Supreme Court, Sorry, bring my Americanness into this. But he says, you know, I'm just calling balls and strikes, says John Roberts. He sees the law as just book smarts, right? It's the law is the law. It doesn't have any real connection to the world. But the Gra, I think, is pushing against that. <coughs> the Gra is pushing against that. And he's saying it's not just the, the black letter law. It is about achieving what the law is trying to do, which is to bring people back together to create a society, a community that's able to work. So I think what we, you know, th there's this really beautiful point that the, um, we don't need to go through this whole long thing. I'll share the, the source sheet later if you want to look at it inside yourself. But the tour quotes Rabbeinu Yonah, who says, you know, these two teachings, why, aren't, why isn't there just one teaching? Why do we have both? He says that the first one, Torah, Avodah, Gemulus, Chasadim, these are the three things the world is based on. It's the three things that the world was created for, all right? So the world exists so that we can become better intellectually, learning Torah, so that we can serve God, do the avoda, and so that we can be kind to each other. We have a world 
you know, the whole, to, you know, the, uh, we are but players, right? The whole world is a stage. And we are acting the parts that we need to play to create something better than what we had before. A world of Torah, a world of service, and a world of kindness. But how do we have that world? That's what the second three are for. The world would not survive. The world would not survive unless it's able to have justice, unless we're able to have access to truth and be able to create peace. So the purpose of the world are those three things, Torah, Avoda, Gemilus, Chasadim. But the survival of the world, the way the world needs, the, what the world needs to progress is justice, love, and peace. It's the difference between the tools and that and the house that gets built. The tools we have are love, justice, and peace so that the world is able to be, the house of the world is able to be, to stand, to be sustainable. And so that we're able to have the venue we need to pursue our higher calling. And what is that, what is our higher calling? The world is able to access, partake of God's, uh, God's mind, of God's intentions for us. A world of being able to attend to others, to be kind and loving, to attend to make sure that people have what they need to be there for people. And last but not least, very much, and I, and I so appreciated that intervention before, a world of service, a world in which we can materialize, realize, and actualize these higher principles of ours, not just as theoretical ideas, but as real behaviors and commitments in this world. Yashakoach to all of you. Thanks so much for joining. Um, this class will continue next week um, with our uh, with uh, another uh, kaleidoscopic journey into Pirkei Avot. Um, we have also a Parsha class on Thursday evenings, uh, same Zoom link at 7 p.m. Uh, it's a more like informal uh, chat about the Parsha. Um, and uh, we have Shabbos davening. We have davening in person at Bethelita if you can join us. Uh, somewhere between 6.45 and 7 on Friday night and 9.30 on Shabbos morning. And then we have Havdalah Saturday night also on Zoom. Uh, hope to see you at any and all of those. And also, very exciting, uh, we're having our Lagba Omer bonfire in the backyard. Uh, everyone's welcome. There'll be beer. There'll be hot dogs. There'll be veggie dogs. All kinds of dog. And bring your dog. Nisim, bring your dog. Um, and bring your guitar bring a story. I'm actually having a friend of mine uh, who's like a, a, a like a, a, story, a professional storyteller who's going to tell some beautiful tales. It's going to be really, like around the fire. It's going to be Gavaldic. So I hope you can join. Uh, my, May 18th, Wednesday at 8-ish. Uh, we'll dive in and then we'll, we'll make the fire. It'll be a very sweet thing. I uh, hope to see you there. Thanks so much for joining. Have a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you.